This is the Less Doing Podcast with your host, Ari Mysel. Learn how to optimize, automate, and outsource and be more effective at everything. Welcome to the new and improved Less Doing podcast. From now on, I'm going to be having some more in-depth conversations with true experts in productivity and wellness. Previously, I've really been enjoying doing some amazing interviews with people, but I realize that a lot of it's been really, I ask a question and then I sort of listen to the answer. From now on, it's going to be some real hardcore, interesting discussions. So I hope everyone likes that new format. Uh, today I'm going to be talking uh, with Jimmy Moore from Live in La Vida Low Carb, a guy who lost over 180 pounds uh, using a high-fat diet and has now become a pretty amazing and really knowledgeable expert on cholesterol. So it's, I'm really excited to kind of kick off this new format of the podcast by talking to him. This week, I had the pleasure of trying Slant Shack Jerky, which is a really, really amazing beef jerky company. They're, uh, they're based out of Vermont, and they use 100% grass-fed beef, which we all know is important. But they have some really, really great flavors, and they even have a gluten-free version because uh, you may not realize, but a lot of soy sauce has gluten in it. So for those of you with gluten sensitivities, that's no good. Uh, I also want to just point out that my Udemy courses are all going up in pricing shortly. I'm going to be adding a lot more content and the prices are going up. So if you were considering signing up but weren't sure, I encourage you to sign up now. I've got my Gmail, IFTTT, and virtual assistant course. I also have my biohacking course. And then there is the Art of Less Doing course. All of them have really great content. And if you're not in a place where you can do it right now, sign up and you'll have access forever and you can get to it whenever you want. I'm excited to announce that I recently passed my French test. So my wife is French, and I'd like to get a dual citizenship because why not? And to do that, you have to be pretty proficient in French. There are six levels of the uh, French test, and I had to pass the third level. And I say, I'll tell you, it was pretty hard. There was an hour and 15, or I'm sorry, a two-hour written portion and an hour oral portion. But what's cool is that I mean, I speak French with my wife a lot, which I credit most of this for, but to really drill on the verbs and the and practicing, I use Duolingo and Brainscape, both of which I've talked about before. They are just awesome. And also, in the last week, my wife and I have moved officially to our new home, where I am building my, what most people would call a gym, but I'm calling it my human performance laboratory. So I expect future podcasts to be coming out of my new lab. And then the last thing before we get to the interview is, as promised, every week I'm going to pick a review from the iTunes page for the Less Doing Podcast, and that person is going to get a little gift. So this week's review comes from Sam Heisel, and he says, Ari's Less Doing Framework has helped me tremendously improve my mind, body, and spirit, as well as accelerated my career slash personal ventures. I'm a college student and closed a $40,000 deal with a company I got at a job 
using Ari's tactics on email productivity, as well as the importance of batching and time management. No joke, Ari's up there with the greats, i.e. Tim Ferriss, Tony Robbins, etc. Well, I like that. Plus, he brings in other awesome productivity gurus and founders who are also here to help you be more effective. Don't pass this up unless, you've already, unless you're already perfect. Well, Sam, thanks a lot. If you're listening, send me an email and claim your free prize, which I'm not completely sure what it is yet. I think it's going to be an hour coaching session with me. But other than that, I, I think that I've got a couple Fitbits lying around here. So something good will be coming your way. So get in touch with me, Sam, and it will be yours. And in the future, please leave more reviews, everybody. It, it helps me shape the content of the podcast and give you more of what you want. So without further ado, let's talk to Jimmy. Hi, welcome to the Let's Doing Podcast. I'm Ari Mizell, and today I am really excited to be talking with Jimmy Moore of Livin' La Vida Low Carb, which I got to say right away, I think is the greatest website name I have ever heard in my life. He's also the author of a new book called Cholesterol Clarity, What the HDL is Wrong with My Numbers. So, hi, Jimmy. Thanks for being with me. Hey, man. What's going on? So, what the HDL is wrong with my numbers? Let's get right into it. I know, right? <laughs> Yeah, we've been told a, a, a whole heap of information about cholesterol that unfortunately is 100% dead wrong. Uh, the way most doctors and most health professionals uh, around the world, quite frankly, are looking at cholesterol, they're looking at two numbers and predicating treatment based on only those two numbers on your cholesterol panel. So it's total cholesterol and LDL cholesterol tend to be the vilified parts of your cholesterol panel and if your total cholesterol is over 200 and your LDL cholesterol is over 100, suddenly all these medical professionals and doctors think you have a statin deficiency and that you must immediately fill that deficiency by taking this prescription drug with some very questionable side effects. Now, that's not to say that not everyone should, you know, be off of statins. I think there are probably a minority few that could stand to benefit, mostly people who've already had some kind of a cardiovascular event or as one of my experts in the book, we have 29 total experts in cholesterol clarity and one of them uh, is a family doctor in Denver and he said, you know, there's, there's a certain segment of the population that I have to put on a statin drug and it's generally those people who refuse to make any changes to their diet and maybe, just maybe, this drug might be the only thing left that could save them. So that's kind of where we are is we're treating numbers on a paper rather than treating individuals. And I think, if nothing else, hopefully cholesterol clarity opens people's eyes that that's the exact wrong way to be helping people with their heart health. Okay. So now, you know, everybody has cholesterol, obviously. And I think that somehow along the way, cholesterol became vilified for some reason without anybody really right. knowing what it is. You know, you ask somebody, what is cholesterol? And then most people don't know. There's not really, most people don't have a very good answer. And I, I forgot which interview I heard you on. I think it might have been on Ben Greenfield's podcast, but you said something that I thought was really cool, which was that you don't blame the firefighters for the fire, right? So right. What, what is just what is cholesterol? So cholesterol, people uh, think it's this evil substance, that the less of it they have in their body, the better off their health is going to be. But the unfortunate thing for those people is that's just ignorant <laughs> because cholesterol is essential to every 
cell in our body without cholesterol, you would die. I mean, absolutely, you have to have cholesterol in your body. And here's an interesting thought. Did you know that the people who live the longest tend to have the highest levels of cholesterol? So it's not odd to have a lot of cholesterol in the body. What is odd is to artificially try to lower this life-saving substance. And as you alluded to uh, from one of my previous interviews I've done, absolutely, you need that cholesterol to be a firefighter in your body because the fire inside of your body is called inflammation. So when you have chronic inflammation in your body, the only thing that's going to be there to save you from that is the cholesterol, which acts as a healing agent in the body. So it would be like the firefighters going to the scene of a fire and you say, well, wait a minute, there's a fire there and we see firefighters there, so they must have caused it. We wouldn't say that. That would be ludicrous, and yet that's exactly what we're doing with cholesterol. We're saying that these firefighters, the cholesterol, are going to the scene of the fire, the inflammation, so therefore it's the cholesterol's fault that there's a fire going on. No, that, that's, that's silly. And so what we need to do is get people to understand inflammation is the cause of heart disease, not cholesterol. Right. Okay. So, which is, which I think is a really important point. But now, when we're talking about inflammation, you know, you're talking to somebody obviously who had a chronic in, or has technically, because it's incurable, yeah. according to the medical community, a chronic inflammatory condition. But, you know, there's inflammation from things like Crohn's disease. Uh, you can get inflammation from running too much. And then obviously you can have, you know, the inflammation that affects cardiovascular disease. Are we talking about all kinds of inflammation that are affected by cholesterol? Yeah, it's pretty much all of the chronic uh, inflammation that would lead to uh, a lot of the autoimmune issues that you were just talking about um, and, and just, you know, it's basically brought on by stress primarily and things that you're eating in your diet that people don't even realize are raising inflammation levels. So, and, and it's even things that are promoted in our culture as heart healthy. So you think about whole grains. You know, they've gotten a free pass for a long time as a healthy part of your diet. In fact, uh, you know, the USDA tells us we need to be eating uh, 6 to 12 servings of these a day as part of a healthy, heart-healthy diet. And then we're being told to skip the butter and the other real food uh, sources of saturated fat and replace it with vegetable oils like canola oil and soybean oil. Well, those are the very things that are leading to more inflammation as well. So between the whole grains and the vegetable oils, we're increasing the amount of inflammation in our body, thus making ourselves more susceptible to heart health problems and not less. And yet those are the very things that they're telling us to eat more and more and more of. Meanwhile, we're eschewing saturated fat, which could do all sorts of great things to your cholesterol panel, yet people are running for the hills in the opposite direction. Yeah, so you know, one of the things I love, whenever I, I have a, a new client who has, usually it's with Crohn's disease that I'm dealing with uh, this kind of thing or uh, other digestive stuff, but a lot of times when I have someone with Crohn's disease, they, they will have come from a doctor who told them to stay away from fatty foods. Right. And I love when they do that. So first of all, I say, okay, yeah, that's great. Don't have fried chicken that's been you know, fried in, in canola oil or peanut right. or something. But, you know, butter is a fatty food. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's what they say. Although most of the time when you hear that 
that phrase fatty food, nine times out of ten, it's not just fatty, it's also carby. So you're having the right. unintended consequence of that. It's like you, you look at fast food and they say, oh, that's such a fatty, uh, you know, meal. And, yeah, if you look at most fast food, it's mostly carby. You know, you get a quarter pounder with cheese and fries and a Coke. Guess what? That's a very, very high-carb meal. Yes, it's got some fat in it as well, but the preponderance of that meal is carbohydrate. And yet our society looks at that and says, what a high-fat uh, high meal. Right. And as Mr. Live and La Vida Low-Carb, I'm assuming that we're sort of getting to that issue that sugar is really the inflammatory enemy. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Sugar and really all forms of sugar and things that turn to sugar in the body. You know, I, I was talking to somebody just this last week and I was talking to them about, you know, a lot of what I wrote in Cholesterol Clarity and, oh, I don't eat a lot of sugar in my diet. I, I, I don't do that. But I'll have a banana for breakfast and a glass of orange juice and I'll eat a bowl of oatmeal. I'm like, do you realize everything you just said to me is loaded with sugar? Oh, but it's natural sugar. I'm like, your body doesn't care if it's natural or if it comes from, you know, you know, a Coca-Cola. It is still metabolically the same. Sugar is sugar is sugar in your body. Your body's going to respond. Yeah, you'll get a few micronutrients from perhaps the banana. But at the end of the day, we're trying to keep the sugar load down, eating a banana, drinking a glass of orange juice, eating a bowl of oatmeal, which will just turn to sugar in the body, is not doing you any good. Okay, so in you know in, in preparation for this particular interview, I, I get my blood tested quite a bit because I'm an advisor to a company called Inside Tracker. But I, I got a test on as close as I could to this interview because nice. one of the things that I found mind blowing uh, since I've heard you uh, in a couple other interviews, which I absolutely did not know before, was this thing about carb tolerance related to triglycerides. And yep. I, what I want to know. Uh, and I think this will be really interesting for everybody, but I, I've gone from when I was doing Ironman training and my diet was, you know, 8,000 calories a day and probably 85% carbs to where I am now, which is more like 65 to 70% fat. Yep. But current, I, 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 w I would not say that, I mean, it's hard to say that I, w I wouldn't be honest if I was saying that I was low carb. I love to have a good bowl of pasta and sure. I, I love having, you know, uh, bread every now and then. But, my triglycerides about two weeks ago were mm -hmm. 54. Wow. That's great. So what does that mean? Does that mean I'm just a carb monster and it's okay? It means your carbohydrate tolerance level is extremely high compared to most people. And I think a lot of that for you, uh, being that you are such an exerciser and that you're using that as a fuel source uh, for your training, I think you're able to get away with more carbs than probably most people. So uh, good for you. 54 is amazing. Uh, that, that's really, really, really good. <laughs> Thank you. So then I can keep asking carbs pasta sometimes. How many carbs would you say that you eat a day as far as grams? You know, that, so that's the thing. When I was actually really thinking about this, like I said, I love a good bowl of pasta, but I probably have a bowl of pasta once every week. You know, yeah, so and, and, and that's probably pretty good. Yeah, and um, but I know that you know when I was well, and so I'm looking back through my history because I have it up here. And when I was training for Ironman and I was having a lot of carbs, I mean a lot, a lot of carbs. I was at 94 still. Yeah, and that's pretty good. Anything under 100 means that you've got it pretty dialed in to your personal car carbohydrate tolerance level. 
in my book, the optimal range we talk about for triglycerides is under 70. Now, my trigs right now are 37. Wow. Okay. But now, does any of that have to do with genetics? That, you know, you some people can handle it better and some people can't? You know, I think it has a lot to do with the metabolic damage. Like, I used to weigh 410 pounds in my life. I didn't get to weigh 410 without having some major metabolic damage going on. So I think the more damage you have from eating a lot of these Neolithic modern-day, and I'll, I'll just throw it out there, very high processed carbohydrate, garbage as I call it, um, you know, foods, I think that does – uh, diminish your ability to be able to metabolize and tolerate those high amounts of carbs. Apparently, you've not reached that, despite the Crohn's, um, you've not uh, reached that level for yourself, and, you know, be happy about that. But be careful with pasta, because it's still wheat, and it's going to maybe make you less and less sensitive to carbohydrate over time. Even if you do do it just once a week, it can have some extreme metabolic effects. Now, I'd be interested, you know, with your triglycerides being so good, what's your HDL? Uh, the HDL was 65. Yeah, and that's great as well. So really anything close to 70 is pretty good, definitely above 50, and that tells me you're eating lots of good healthy fats. So that's that's good. And then the only other thing I'd say is get an NMR lipoprofile test run so you can see the kind of LDL particles that you're producing and how many of those are the small LDL because what happens is when you eat wheat, which is in that pasta, even just once a week, it can shift your um, LDL particles to more of the small, dense kind that you don't want despite having some some good tricks. Uh, again, just something to think about if you get that run and, and you see a number that's kind of off kilter, you know, that could be the wheat talking there. So, okay, so, and, and that's something, I've heard you talk about the NMR profile before, and it's, you know, one of very few tests that I have not run on myself. So I definitely, <laughs> I definitely, I definitely put that on my, my uh, Christmas list. Yep. Um, and then, you know, since we are talking about my numbers, uh, as an example for everybody, so my LDL is 127. And what I found interesting about this is that, you know, according to most optimal ranges, that's too high. Right, that's what they say, it's too high, although... Um, one of the people that I interviewed was um, Paul Jaminet from the Perfect Health Diet, and he said a perfectly normal LDL is 130 or less, so you're perfectly fine. Well, and, but so what I, when I saw that originally, uh, which I, I got a little nervous, and then I started doing more and more research, and I was sounding out that the ratio apparently is more important. You, is that true? Well, the ratio, I assume you mean LDL to total cholesterol ratio? Yeah, yeah correct. Yeah, that's that's an interesting marker, but again, that doesn't really tell you a whole lot because total cholesterol is kind of a misnomer marker as well because it's got two things in it that are strange. One is your HDL cholesterol you want to have higher, and so that's part of your total cholesterol is your HDL cholesterol. And if And if your total cholesterol is higher because your HDL is higher, that's not a bad thing. You want that to be higher. And then the other thing is your LDL, the thing that you just mentioned, is only, and a lot of people don't realize this, it's only an estimated number. It's not a precise, exactly measured number unless you do that NMR lipo profile test I just talked about. That specifically measures exactly the amount of LDL particles that you have. So, no, I don't think the LDL to total cholesterol ratio is very relevant. What is relevant is the triglyceride to HDL ratio. Okay. And that one you want to have one 
uh, one to one or less. And so your trigs were 54, your LD or your HDL was um, 65. You're, you're perfectly fine. That's like 0. 0.7, 0. 0.8. Perfect. Okay, but so now that, there's something funny that I think you alluded to also is that you want to get your HDL higher. Yes. You want your total cholesterol to be lower. So aren't those conflicting? Well, I don't think you need to have your total cholesterol lower. I think you need to have general. That's what they say. Oh, that's what they say. That's exactly right. And so, yeah, I just had a woman uh, write to me a couple weeks ago. She was all worried because her doctor was pushing a statin drug on her and her total cholesterol was 225. And so I inquired further about her other numbers. And it turns out her HDL, get this, of that 225, her HDL was 105 of it. So she had incredible HDL, almost 40% of her total cholesterol was just her HDL cholesterol, and yet her doctor was pushing olive oil IV. (laughs) An olive oil IV. Well, actually, women have um, a little higher HDL than us guys. The highest I've been able to get my HDL is what it currently is, is 79. Okay. But us guys, it's very hard to get it higher, uh, too much higher than that. For women, though, over 100 is pretty regular if they're eating, you know, enough fat in their diet. And so it has to do with their hormonal uh, needs for cholesterol. And uh, and this woman was doing fantastic, and yet she was so worried. So I had to point her to the whole HDL, the uh, triglyceride to HDL ratio thing, and that the total cholesterol really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So all the doctor saw was a 2 in front of her total cholesterol, and all he was thinking was statin, statin, statin. Right. Okay. Well, so – you mentioned before that you were 410 pounds. Now, mm-hmm. you didn't get – well, and what do you weigh now? I am currently 233. Okay, so you've lost, you know, hundreds of pounds. Um, <laughs> and you didn't just do that by lowering your cholesterol, obviously. So let's talk about ketosis. Sure. So how did you get there? How did you do it? <laughs> well, it all started – no – uh, my my mother-in-law bought me a book for Christmas in uh, December of 2003. Yes, mother-in-laws do like to uh, make subtle little hints to their son-in-laws that they're fat. <laughs> but um, I, I, I read this book. It was Dr. Atkins' New Diet Revolution. I had never heard of eating fat for health and cutting carbohydrates. I thought fat was going to clog your arteries, and I thought carbohydrates were necessary for fuel, all these things that we always hear. Um, and yet I'm reading this book, and I've tried low-fat diet after low-fat diet over and over and over again, always failing on those things. So I said, what the heck, you know, let's give it a try. So I started, like so many Americans, on January 1st, 2004, to lose weight doing a high-fat, low-carb diet. And in the first month, I lost 30 pounds. Now, that sounds like a lot, but I was 4'10", and it brought me down to 380. Ooh, I was still big. <laughs> So, but I already was feeling a lot better after one month of doing this, and it kind of clued me in. Something's different about what I'm doing now than what I was doing before. At the end of month two, I'd lost another 40 pounds, and I was starting to exercise because I had such robust energy from doing this. At the end of 100 days, I'd lost 100 pounds. Now, I did have about 10 weeks there where I didn't lose any weight at all. But during that non-weight loss period, I lost six inches off my waist, and it was at that moment that I realized this is so much more than about what that scale is telling me. This is about improving my health, letting what I'm doing 
nourish my body and make me optimally healthy. And, oh, yeah, by the way, a nice side effect of that is weight loss. By the end of the year, I'd lost 180 pounds, and everybody was asking, you know, how'd you do it, how'd you do it? So I started my blog, uh, which you gave the name of earlier, and eventually a podcast. Now I do uh, three podcasts five days a week. You know, I'm, tr- I'm just really passionate about educating people about living a healthy lifestyle, whether that's low-carb, whether it's paleo. Even if, if you want to do a vegan diet, I'm not opposed to you doing a vegan diet. It's a whole heck of a lot better than the sad American diet. Let, let's get people on real food and then make adjustments from there. So what do you – now, I mean, obviously the criticisms – I mean, I think the criticisms of Atkins have been that it really doesn't – put the focus necessarily on good quality uh, fats and proteins. It's really just focusing on those fats and proteins. So, uh, Well, I think if he were around today, he would be touting that very strongly. In, in fact, um, I, I got to talk to his widow, Veronica, uh, in an interview, and she said, oh, um, Dr. Atkins regularly, uh, as she called him Bobby, uh, regularly had grass-fed steak, and organic vegetables and grass-fed butter. So he was himself consuming those high quality. So while it may not be explicitly written as such in his books, um, I, I do think the quality issue would have been something he would have been touting uh, if he was still around today. And that's something I credit the paleo community for kind of, you know, guiding people eating low-carb you know, I myself kind of started paying a lot more attention to food quality because of my my friends in the paleo community. So, yeah, it's a fair criticism, but I think it it, it no longer is an issue because so many of us in the low carb world are are eating those higher quality of foods. Sure, and but now of course there's also that issue of gluconeogenesis, right. rather. So, where, which is for you know, for those who don't know, is is basically how your liver turns uh, protein lean proteins really into sugar, right? Right, right. Yeah, and that that was kind of a key thing with the whole, you mentioned uh, nutritional ketosis earlier. Um, That was something that I was struggling with over the past few years of trying to figure out why was I putting on some weight, even though all my health markers were still really good. um, I was putting on, uh, you know, a few pounds every single year, and it was getting frustrating because I couldn't figure it out until I realized I was getting that gluconeogenesis kicking in from eating, you know, chicken breast, thinking, well, it's low carb, and yet, yes, it's low carb, but it's also very high in protein. And Atkins and and low carb, by definition, is not a high protein diet. Never really has been, even though the media likes to call it that. What it is is a high fat diet and moderated in protein and low carbohydrate. And again, finding your carb tolerance is first and foremost. So uh, for you being able to tolerate so much carbohydrate in your diet and not have any ill effects on your triglycerides, I would say you could probably get away with a lot more protein as well because it makes sense. If you're sensitive to carbohydrate, you're also going to be extremely sensitive to too much protein because of that gluconeogenesis. So you have to moderate your protein down to your personal protein threshold and we're going to talk in great detail about this in my next book, Keto Clarity, coming out next year. But it's it's really essential for people to figure those things out and then eat fat, all those natural, healthy, saturated, and monounsaturated fats to satiety, and you found the secret to health and weight management. Okay, so now since since it's obviously very different for different people, you know, yep. those levels they can eat, how do they 
how do they find that level? How do they figure that out? Yeah, I think you start with the carbs. So you get your carbohydrates down to a level, and, and you do the whole, you know, kind of shifting around. Everybody's like, well, what do I need to eat? What's the percentages? And I'm like, it's really not about that. And even if I told you my percentages, that may not be what's right for you. So I tell people, get your carbs down first. So start at 20 grams. If, if, if you're doing very well in 20, maybe add a little more, a little more, a little more till you find your personal carbohydrate tolerance. Mine is about 25 to 30 grams before I start seeing uh, weight gain and hunger and all of those kind of clues that you're looking for. Uh, you know, I get a little fatigued if I'm eating too many carbs. So I immediately know, okay, I've gone beyond my carb tolerance level. I need to back back down. So once you get that one dialed in, then hit the protein. You know, when I first started nutritional ketosis, I was probably eating 160 to 170 grams of protein in a day. And I had to back it down. When I first started tweaking, I tried, okay, let's try 110. That's a lot lower than what I was doing. Still wasn't enough. And so I went to 100. Still wasn't enough. 90. Still wasn't enough. It wasn't until I hit 80 grams of protein along with that 25 to 30 grams of carbohydrate that I found the sweet spot for me. And then, of course, the rest of the calories all came from good sources of quality saturated and monounsaturated fats. And that's the that's the beautiful equation that works for Jimmy Moore. So you just got to figure it out for yourself: your carbohydrate tolerance, your protein threshold, and then eat fat to satiety. So, and that I think is a really reasonable formula for anybody to try to figure this out, which is great. Now, so if you're only getting 25 to 30 grams of carbs a day, what, what's a what's a typical day of meals look like for you when you're not fasting for 24 hours a day? <laughs> I was going to say, I, I do a lot of fasting spontaneously only because when you eat the way your body wants to be fed, which, you know, if you find your carb tolerance and you find your protein threshold and eat plenty of healthy fats, you're going to be nourishing your body with what it needs. And so, uh, yeah, some, t- some days I'll eat one meal and then I don't eat the rest of the day. And so, for example, that one meal could be uh, you know, I really love eggs. There's there's such a versatile uh, and nutrient dense food to eat that, and, and I get some local farm eggs from a guy at my church. He has uh, chickens. He allows them to roam and everything. It's it's really done the right way, and he only sells them to me for two dollars a dozen. So I stock up when I when I get me some eggs. And so, I mean, you talk about you know saving money and getting a good nutritional bang for your buck. That's about the best thing you can do is buy eggs. So. I'll have uh, four pastured eggs cooked in some grass-fed butter and or some coconut oil, and then I'll throw some raw cheese on top of that, have a little sauerkraut for some good probiotic bugs, uh, throw some sour cream on top of that, and occasionally I'll also do a whole avocado. So as you can hear from that meal, it's extremely high in fat, probably upwards of 80 to 85% fat, um, moderated in protein. Really, the only protein is from the eggs themselves. And then carbohydrates are pretty much limited to whatever's in the cheese and whatever's in that avocado. So that's what works for me to keep me satisfied. And I can go 8, 10, 12, sometimes as much as, as you said, 24 hours between meals after eating a meal like that. Okay. So that's, I mean, and that's cool. And that, you know, I have this uh, smoothie that I call my fat smoothie, which is about, you know, Probably 85 or 80% fat, probably, and that, that yep. I have that in the morning, and then I'm usually good for most of the day. But do you work out at all? 
Yeah, so um, I do uh, I do two things. Um, I'll do strength training when I work out. Um, I do enjoy lifting weights and getting stronger. Um, I, I never really was interested in that as a, when I was younger. My brother was the football player, and so he was always lifting weights, and I was in the band. So it never interested me until I started paying attention to how it made me feel when I was in a really – uh, good state with my body. So until I got interested in nutrition, I didn't get interested in fitness. So, so I do lift weights, and I also um, Mark Sisson, who you probably know from Mark's Daily Apple, he'll he'll call me every once in a while. He'll say, "Are you doing your sprints?" <laughs> so he's kind of got me on this sprint kick where I have to, uh, you know, run up and down the front of my street here and uh, for like thirty seconds all out, and then walk back for a couple minutes, and then run for thirty seconds all out, and walk back for a couple minutes, and do that about seven or eight times, because that's a really good fat burning uh, thing you can do for fat burning. So I'll do that on occasion as well, and uh, yeah, so it's it's all a part of it. And on, on those days that I that I lift, I tend to eat a little more protein on those days. So instead of eighty grams of protein my protein threshold goes up to about 100 grams on that day uh, to help with some of the muscle recovery. So that's which is great because that's obviously a question that comes up with a lot of people. Go, oh, yeah, you can eat that perfect diet, but what if you want to work out? You know, don't you need more protein? All those kind of things that just don't, don't really make actual sense, but people think that they need to do stuff. Yeah. Um, so are there – you know, everyone has their own version of a sweet tooth. I actually happen to crave salty things a lot of the times more than, than sweet things. Do you miss things or, or crave things ever, that whether they're sweet or crunchy or, you know, what, what, what is your sweet tooth? You know, I'm coming up on 10 years since I did this, uh, started doing this, and I, I would say for the first five or six years it was really bad uh, in terms of I would have occasions when I felt like I had to have, and sweet was my thing. I mean, when I was 410 pounds, I was drinking 16 cans of Coca-Cola a day, two boxes of little Debbie snack cakes a day, two whole boxes of those every single day. Um, you know, so the sweet tooth, that, that's putting it mildly. <laughs> so, no, now, almost a decade later, I can't say that I just so crave those things, and I do credit uh, ketosis for that. I think once you get your body in that nutritional state where you're relying on ketones for fuel, you realize that's a lot better feeling than whatever that sweet thing is going to, you know, make me feel temporarily. The problem is when you start eating those sweet things, then that kicks you out of ketosis, and then you start getting the hunger and the cravings and the all this kind of coming back on with a vengeance again. No thanks. I'll stay in ketosis, thank you very much, because I feel best when I'm there. So uh, when you're in and out of ketosis, are you – Is that? I mean, you know, you said you feel kind of tired and you, you can feel it, but are you just going on feel or are you testing for oh, – I, Oh, I test on a daily basis. Um, during my experiment, I did a official experiment publicly from May of 2012 to May of 2013 and tested every single day, morning and night, and sometimes every hour on the hour for a whole week just to kind of – I put myself out there as an N equals one and self-experimentation, the whole quantified self. I wanted people to see what was happening to me doing this. So, yeah, I'm I'm testing for blood ketones, um, and it's pretty much the same as uh, measuring for blood sugar, except it's a ketone meter and very expensive strips to do that. But you can test for that and see the amount of beta-hydroxybutyrate, which is the ketone body in your blood, 
to see if you are in that state of nutritional ketosis. And what you're looking for is 0.5 millimolar to 3.0 millimolar. And if you're in that range, you are in nutritional ketosis. So during the experiment, I was in that for most of the time. And since that has ended, I've continued to test morning and night just to kind of see how things would react uh, and and whether they get me in or out of ketosis. And it's it's been very interesting kind of following all that. Uh, you know, continuing to test. And I will probably continue to test. Uh, as I said earlier, I'm writing a book on ketosis um, that's coming out next year. So uh, definitely more information is always good to uh, to be in the know. I totally agree. And uh, just to make another point of clarification there, so when you're doing the blood testing, you're not looking at acetylacetones, right? That's more urine-based and, and as I understand, that's right. not as accurate, right? Yeah, acetoacetate is in the urine, um, acetate is in the breath, and then hi, uh, beta-hydroxybutyrate is what's in the blood. And the most accurate one that I've seen of all three of those, which I've tested breath, urine, and blood, tends to be the blood because you get an exact measurement on uh, the meter to know exactly where you stand. Now, a lot of people use those keto sticks for the urine, the, the uh, acetoacetate. The unfortunate thing about that is if you're dehydrated, it's going to show that you have a high amount of ketones when you probably don't, or if you drink a lot of water like I do, it could, you know, dilute the number of ketones that you have and show a false negative. So not very reliable. I did test that for the first couple of months of my experiment, and uh, it just did not correlate very well to the blood ketones. Okay, but the, uh, the and, you know, as you mentioned, the test kits that you're using are a little more expensive, but it, it's with the what what would be the the next best thing to test with if it's not urine is the breath a good example? Uh, no, the, the the best one would be the blood ketones. So no, you're no, saying next, that, next best though. I'm saying if, if you well, want to go ahead and get a blood meter and pick your finger, yeah. So. yeah, next best as far as commercially available right now is the urine. Unfortunately, the breath ketone meters are still under development. Um, There's several companies working on that right now, um, and I've test marketed. Uh, one such companies, and it, it was okay. It's very difficult to quantify uh, whether you're in ketosis. All it was was kind of a yes, you are, or no, you're not, uh, whereas I think measuring for exact levels kind of tells the tale of where you are. So if you're really interested in this, you know, suck it up, prick your finger, and put the blood in the machine because it's going to be so much better information for you if you truly want to try this. And obviously you're going to feel better for it. Absolutely. So, okay, Jimmy, we're coming up on the end of the interview here, and um, this has been really amazing information for me, and especially I, I thought that I knew a lot of stuff about cholesterol, but I, I didn't know 1% of what I've learned from you. Now, you also do a podcast every every weekday pretty much, right? <laughs> more, than, yes. more than one podcast. You're a very busy guy, especially with this, you've written books now, and you're, you're doing all these speaking engagements. I want to talk a little bit about productivity before we wrap up. So sure. what are the top three tips that you have or, you know, the things that you live by that make you more productive? Don't get bogged down by the minutia. Okay. That's number one more than anything else. I'll get emails from people. They'll say, aren't you going to respond to this person that said something negative about you? I'm like, no. Quite frankly, I don't have time to mess with negative trolls that only want to bait me to to take time away from the good things that I'm doing. 
you know, in, in my estimation, I feel like all the things that I do, it's too important to get bogged down by the minutia. So that that's definitely first and foremost. And then second, I would say take time for yourself. You know, the, the, the beauty of what I do is I am able to work whenever I want to work and the flip side of that, not work whenever I don't want to work. So I take frequent breaks. Sometimes in the middle of the day, I'll just go out and do whatever I want to do, hang out in the sun, do those sprints that Mark Sisson makes me do, uh, those kind of things, and taking time for yourself. And that's extremely important. I, I think if you get too caught up in your work, too caught up in the day-to-day activity of, well, here's another day, and I've got to you know do this for eight hours. And No, you, break it up. And I think that will make you a lot more productive at the end of the day. And then the last thing is something I just learned last year. A couple of my paleo buddies, uh, Diane Sanfilippo, Sean Croxton, different fellow podcasters said, dude, step away from the microphone. <laughs> because I was literally working every single day, every single week, 52 weeks a year, never taking a time, you know, time off away. And they, and, and I was, that was probably part of the reason why I was having trouble, you know, with a little weight gain. I was having trouble sleeping. And it, it was kind of ironic that here I am trying to teach people about health and give them, you know, good quality information about health while my own health was kind of suffering as a result. So I've now implemented, you know, time away. So in November and December this year, there will be no living La Vida low carb, ask the low carb experts, low carb conversations, no blogging, no nothing. I am taking those two months off away from my work. I will be doing a little bit of work. I'll be writing on that keto uh, clarity book. But other than that, pretty much nothing else. Um, and I think that's important to not burn yourself out. I mean, I've been doing this nearly a decade now, and not many people last that long um, burning themselves out. That's a good point. Well, uh, Jimmy, those are those are really great tips. This has been a really amazing information. Uh, for everybody to check out the book, it's Cholesterol Clarity, What the HDL is on My Numbers. It is available now on, on Amazon, right? Yep, it's on Amazon. It's in Barnes & Noble stores. It's it's everywhere books are sold. And then the uh, the best place to find out about you is, is uh, I would normally ask the guests to say it, but I love saying <laughs> the website so much. So it's, it's livinglavidalowcarb.com, right? That's right. Or you just Google Jimmy Moore, and I think the whole first page is all my stuff. Yeah, great. Okay, well, Jimmy, thank you again, and uh, keep, keep, keep those numbers in check. Yeah, man, always. Thanks for listening to the Less Doing Podcast with Ari Mizell. For more ways to make everything in your life easier, head over to lessdoing.com and also on Twitter at twitter.com slash Ari Mizell or Facebook at facebook.com slash lessdoing. If you enjoyed the show, please take a minute to head over to iTunes and leave a positive review. It's greatly appreciated. You can learn the art of less doing, getting started with biohacking, and how to make Gmail, IFTTT, and virtual assistants your ultimate productivity toolbox at udemy.com slash lessdoing. Until next time, keep optimizing, automating, and outsourcing everything you do.